it's exciting. It's the first iteration, so we don't know where this is going to go. We just don't know how it's going to interplay with Google. Some say and speculate that it may take over. I don't think so. But I do think it's going to play a large role in the future. But we're in the present. Technology and consumer behavior change on a dime. Google adapts and leads the charge. Your site had better keep up. It's hard to trust something that probably hasn't been updated. It's been a static page and no one's touched in five, six, seven, eight years. God knows what science has come out since then, what studies have shown possibly might contrast or contradict what the results are on that particular page. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple or Spotify and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I got a big hug for all my haters too. Each week, we talk to the best in the legal industry. Ready to dominate your market? Let's go. Want to dominate your region through SEO? Look to Matt Dolman as a guide for what you should be doing. The Dolman Law Group is one of the most trafficked law firm sites in the U.S. Matt is as obsessed with SEO as I am. He was previously on PIM episode 25. We had a great conversation about SEO. Go check it out after the show. It's linked in the show notes. And today we cover the most recent updates to Google, why you should care, and what to do about them. Showing your expertise, rushing code leaks, chat GPT, and the real threat to Google's future. We've got it all. We dive right in and Matt makes the case for why every firm owner needs a basic understanding of SEO. Here's Matt Dolman, owner and president of Dolman Law Group. It's almost like talking to a mechanic. If you don't speak a language and at least have a basic, at least rudimentary understanding of what they're talking about, it's very easy to sell you on things you probably don't need or you're overpaying for things you might be able to do yourself or really truly understand how to scale the process properly where, you know, should I be spending more money on Google Local and pushing the maps or should I be spending more money on content creation? If you don't really understand how all these parts fit into, you know, one whole sum and how it's going to really push your product forward, you're you're lost and you're going to get ripped off. And a lot of times I think the SEO nerds, they try to complicate things and they like, talk about the super granular, but you know, what what are those basics in your mind when it comes to SEO? The basics are content creation. I mean, content's king. You have to have content, but without backlinks, those are links pointing to your website from other sites. It's like a vote of validity in the eyes of Google. So without that, your content will never be seen anyway. So you have to start off, the basics are links and content and architecture. You have to have a flat architecture to your site what does that mean? It means that no matter where you are on your website, you're no more than two clicks away from your homepage. And that's how you share the juice. The equity that you have in the homepage of your site needs to be spread to all of your internal pages. Otherwise, those pages are not getting crawled properly and they're never going to get ranked. You know, those links being the endorsements and you're trying to win an election, you want to get as many votes as possible. Same for those links in terms of the ranking factors. And then I think a lot of times, you know, where the architecture is like, you got these orphan pages that you can't access. Well, if you can't access them and Google can't crawl them, then why would Google put any importance towards those pages? There's a lot of things going on right now with Google. So we'll, we'll start with the fun ones, the Google algorithm updates. So Google helpful content update that was released in December 5th. You know, so, so what is the Google helpful content update? What do we know about it? And uh, why should we care? 
So that's an update to the EAT algorithm. Now they've had an extra E to it. So it used to be uh, expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. Now they added experience. So what the EAT algorithm was, it came out two and a half years ago, and um, it's for what's called YMYL pages. These are your money or your life. So if you're giving advice about law or financial advice or um, medical advice, Google wants to really ensure that you are an expert, that you're not pushing off what's known as pseudoscience or um, disinformation. Again, these are very... I would call critical information that one does not want to rely upon in a cavalier manner without ensuring the person is an actual expert. So how, do was, how does one display that they're an expert? Well, you have to show, you know, what is your, what's your experience in that particular field? Um, have you been a doctor? Are you board certified? Have you published before? Have you been part of research studies? You're a lawyer. What is your experience running a law firm? You know, are you giving comments about uh, commercial litigation, but you never actually handled commercial litigation cases? So if I'm going to kind of put together a proper profile to illustrate my eat or, or at least illustrate my experience, authoritativeness and trustworthiness behind my name and behind my law firm's name, well, I want to highlight what is my experience in practicing law. So Matt Dolan's been practicing, and I hate talking about myself in third person, but for 20 years, been licensed in the state of Florida. He's handled X amount of cases. He has, you know, if you want to say you're board certified or you're a member of the Million Dollar Advocates Forum or you were selected legal elite, whatever awards that you could put there that will actually show that you are an expert and trusted by others in your field, let alone you should be trusted by consumers. The thing that I see wrong a lot of times on these law firm websites is they don't even include a byline. So you only know who wrote it. So then how could you trust the content, right? So that's mm -hmm. where those bios come into place. You need to put in all your as seen in, all your experiences. If you're on trusted sites, you need to reference that. The other thing that I see is there's no published date. And the thing, you know, in legal, I find it very important. But in medical, for example, if you ever get sick and you Google your, your symptoms and you see a page that was published in 2016, you see one in 2023, you know, I'm clicking on 2023. Of course. It's probably been advancements in the medical field. And, and likewise, like what you're saying, it's, it's the your money, your life in legal, like a law or statute may have changed. So you need to have the most current, fresh content. And that goes into the A and the T, the authoritativeness yeah. and trustworthiness. It's hard to trust something that probably hasn't been updated. It's been a static page that no one's touched in five, six, seven, eight years. God knows what science has come out since then, what studies have shown possibly might contrast or contradict what the results are on that particular page. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big issues that we always see is all these, the firm owners are just constantly cranking out new, new, new content but then the core pages aren't ever touched again. They aren't ever refreshed. And one of the best things you can do if, if you're a personal injury attorney listening is refresh your content when it kicks over 2023 and next year when it kicks over 2024, you should update your top 200 pages. It, it, it's like a necessity for in terms of ranking better in the search results. Yeah, for a garden variety of reasons. I mean, one, it looks like it's been touched. It doesn't look like static. Google hates static. Two, going off of that, Google will be trained to crawl your pages more often the more often you update the page. So Google likes fresh content. We know this. And anecdotally speaking, we can show that from trial and error, having done this on hundreds of pages before, we will generally see a boost after we've updated a page. Yeah. And Matt and I have talked a lot about this. And that's one of the reasons why we did these surveys, these roundups. So we have the hire a car accident page. We have a personal injury page that has multiple attorney contributors is because, hey, What's more trustworthy than not one attorney, but maybe 50 attorneys? Yeah, sure. It looks like a, a proper resource page. 
It's giving the information from a number of different perspectives and individuals who all have experience in the field of personal injury law. Awesome. So then kind of moving on, Google cracked us with another update right in December. They love to just, you know, double hit, you know, content, then links. They came out December 14th. They came out with the link spam update. And then what is that? And let's discuss that. It was a way for Google to kind of decipher, um, and I wouldn't call it a penalty, so they didn't, they're not necessarily penalizing website owners. What they're doing is devaluing specific links pointing at your website. So one could view that as a penalty. It's almost like a demerit, but it's, you're not in like Google's penalty box. You never want to end up in Google's penalty box. So you're not ending up in a penalty box here. You're just where you could, if you get in a penalty box, you could be eliminated from search altogether. No one will see your site for quite a while. In this case, it's just devaluing certain links that are looked at as spammy, that don't add value, that are not relevant or related to the topic matter at hand. To me, there's just so much misinformation on this topic. There's so many SEO specialists out there to just want to disavow all your links. When the truth is, if they pop it into SEMrush or they use some tool, they don't really know if the link is good or bad. So, you know, wh where do you stand on the disavow file? You know, um, should users use the disavow file? Like, wh what's your thoughts on it? We can go to, a, you know, our own personal experience. This happened, I think, in 2018 or 2019. I was sued by um, a lawyer referral service that I made fun of in a blog of mine. And then they started hitting us with um, just spammy links from uh, whether it was hair loss supplements or dick pills, whatever it was. And it hurt our website, but it didn't really hurt us, though. We thought it was going to hurt us. It actually helped us. And for three to four years, man, that, those couple of pages that they point all the links at, really, they were ranking the top three, top four in the United States. Then they, when this happened, we lost a little bit, but we're coming right back without a problem. No, I do not agree with um, disavowing links. And actually, um, was it Mueller? Yeah. Uh, was it John Mueller mm -hmm. who actually spoke out about this on like three or four different occasions, who said, do not ever, he's a, he's a Google insider, do not ever put together a disavow file. It's, it's worthless. If Google decides to devalue these links later on, you'll lose some equity, but why don't you wait until that happens? Because it could actually boost your site in the meantime. Yeah, and, and Google's looking for leverage, right? They're, they're a software company. They're not gonna be, have these individuals auditing every single pay, every single website. It, it's too cumbersome, there's too many. There was three trillion web pages oh, in yeah. 2016. So they're gonna do that algorithmically instead of hire a whole bunch of staff. I mean, they have the best coders on the planet. Why not just fix the code to say, oh, that's not a good link, we're just gonna ignore it. Yeah, they're never going to be able to go individual by individual, website by website. There's hundreds of millions of pages being created every single month. And as, as you said, there's over three trillion pages. So that would be not just cumbersome, it would be impossible. Um, pragmatically speaking, no, one should not use a disavow file. We've done that before and we've seen problems. So I'll leave that alone about prior experience, but I don't think it adds any value. Yeah, it, it's easy to pop in a tool and, and like SimRush and it'll say, hey, these links are toxic, but, but what action should mm -hmm. you take? That's, that's a whole different strategy as it relates to your SEO. No, I think if you plug it into like SEMrush or Arush and you're seeing like toxic links, especially SEMrush, what that should tell you is maybe I might want to improve my overall link portfolio. Maybe I want to get more stronger links. Maybe I want to contribute. You know, guest blogging, there's a, there's a good and a bad way of approaching that. But maybe I want to contribute on some blogs. Maybe I want to earn some uh, some media. Um, maybe hire a public relations specialist to get me some, uh, you know, opportunities to speak to the media. There's, there are ways to build really good links, but no, one should not take the drastic approach of cutting out all of the links because it actually could hurt your website. Rush's Google is called Yandex, and it's the fifth largest search engine worldwide after Google being Yahoo and Baidu. Late January, the code was leaked. 
This is why you should care. At least there's 70% correlation between the ranking factors on Yandex and how they rank web pages on Google. Those are known as a search engine result placement. So be, behind you know, your ranking on a specific page, there's about three to 400 factors that Google's u- utilizing. Well, we never, we, we can reverse engineer, we can figure out what some of those factors are. We can never figure out how much weight does Google actually attribute to each one. We can play around by removing certain things and then putting them back in and we learn over time how much weight there really is, but we'll never know the exact formula. What this allows us to do is look behind the lens a little bit and see what are some of the ranking factors that they've been playing around with on Yandex that actually will deliver some juice to your web page or will in turn hurt your page. Yeah, and and so there were the leak revealed, you know, 1922 ranking factors. The the SEO nerd, I think it's Alex Burax. You know, the thing is this was a leak, guys. This was uploaded. They uploaded the code. It wasn't like um, someone discovered this or a hack. This this was a leak. And there's a whole bunch of these that Alex went through, but but I think one of the, the interesting ones that I saw was the average ranking position across all queries. I found that really intriguing because that means if you've got guys, and, and we've tested this, if you've got bad content that's getting no traffic that Google doesn't favor, you know, we, we've always talked about pruning your content, but this is just another sign that you just have to do that. You've got to prune your content if it's not performing. Mm-hmm. It just improves that overall average ranking position. You know, what was one that kind of stood out to you? Well, obviously, including the, um, the keyword in the URL, we knew that. Um, I thought it was interesting last night. I think I even sent you a text on this, so we can pretend like we haven't had this conversation already, that pay-per-click and relevant pay-per-click to the specific page you're looking at could add some incremental, they weren't sure it was an incremental or significant value to your overall SEO. Um, and the way I look at it is, is, is it's increasing the amount of visitors on the page which sends a ranking signal to Google, to Google, or in this case, Yandex. I think that's something that we should probably look at uh, going forward. Um, but then you gotta you know, weigh that as to how much is that cost going to be and is it worth my time? Yeah, that's that's where we we kind of guys we went down a rabbit hole because a lot of times when you're bidding on anything in the PI space, you know it's it's a significant amount of uh, cost, you know, per click. But I think we found a couple solutions on that. Maybe some middle of the funnel, top of the funnel queries that don't typically get bid on. the The other thing is I found kind of a correlation is you know back in the day when we used to run these scholarship campaigns Matt, we always saw like a giant ranking increase right when the scholarship was deadline was occurring and even though that wasn't you know super relevant traffic to the law we always saw an increase so it that there's something to be said about the traffic itself kind of resuscitating the site so to speak yeah google sees traffic coming in so that's a ranking signal even though it's not to the specific pages you want it to be towards and it's a page that doesn't really have commercial intent it's still traffic in the eyes of Google, which makes it seem like your page is relevant to the eyes of those who have queries in the search engine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then there's there's a lot of it to me is just a no-brainer, right? Crawl depth, keyword in the URL, host reliability, age of the link, you know, UX signals like bounce rate and dwell time. We, we've, we've talked about this a lot, but I did find a couple of those really intriguing as it relates to traffic, you know, those average ranking positions across all queries, which I, I personally think there is something to be said there about that. The other one, Matt, and I want to see your take is, you know, like Yandex specifically highlighted individual sites. Like one specifically they highlighted and gave a boost to was Wikipedia. And 
there could be something to be said about that where maybe Google can just manually boost a site if they, they think it's super trustworthy. I think they see that there's, well, the thing about Wikipedia, it's very hard to mimic is how robust the information is. And obviously they, they cite their sources. Now, the only problem is, is often it's user generated content. So how trustworthy is that? So you have to weigh the two. But yeah, I think they can manually boost a page that they see is trusted upon by the masses and has robust information to share and cites their sources. So when you have those, I think then you can show that it has the necessarily experience because but no one it's not a your your money or your life page but it has the authoritativeness and the trustworthiness you're going to look for as ranking signals yeah and we got to be careful when we link to external sources because that is we're giving away trust we're pointing a signal to them so if you're if you're listening and you're just linking to any citation or external website just be really cautious about that because they have to be very legit very trusted sources but it can help you though Yes. Kind of like, you know, when you're reminded as a kid, you are the company you keep, you know, hang out with good people. You want to kind of hang out with good websites. If you're a personal injury lawyer and you're quoting some site that the information might not be 100% trustworthy, some of it's experimental science, it's pseudoscience, you're not going to get the same boost as you will if you're citing the Mayo Clinic or the Cleveland Clinic. And those are considered the epitome of modern medicine. Duke University, Harvard University, they're going to be trusted a lot more. And those signals are embedded in Google. Google knows that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And that's where, you know, a lot of people talk smack about the the scholarship campaigns, but that's because a lot of them, the links were from these like low-end universities, maybe, you know, poorly curated EDU sites. But if you get a link from Yale or Harvard, you know, it's on a legit page, that's going to be a good signal, no matter if the topic, the tactics you know, kind of been spammed or overused. So that's it, just, you know, an example in itself. It doesn't have to be an Ivy League school. Any decent university or college is going to have probably a very strong website, which we know is having a strong domain rating. That's what we look at. And that's, a, I wouldn't call it a made-up number, but it's an arbitrary number given by either SEMrush or AREFs. They have different rating formulas, but they're very similar. And what they're looking at is they're trying to reverse engineer Google's ranking factors. And it's not an exact science, but it gives you a snapshot in time of, at least we'll tell you, is this a strong website or is this some spammy bullshit website? And you'll know right off the bat that most of these universities have very strong websites. They have domain ratings above 70 and usually in the 80s, 90s. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the final one I want to touch on, and just briefly, guys, we could do a whole episode on this one on its own, is this chat GPT. Ugh. Yeah. You know, so where does that fit in? You know, for, first, just from my perspective, Matt, it's like, I, I asked my team when it first came out and was like actually pumping out good material because, you know, Jasper existed and, and Jasper AI, you know, it, it, it just it's the quality wasn't there. And I asked my team, I was like, hey, are we farming without tractors? Are we like row cropping by hand is kind of how I was looking at it, you know, from a from an output perspective, a leverage perspective. I was really excited about it. You know, what's your thoughts on it in terms of use from an SEO standpoint? Well, for a start, it's exciting. It's the first iteration, so we don't know where this is going to go. Um, Microsoft's putting a ton of money, and they've raised a ton of funding for this. So there's a the future is there with ChatGPT to an extent. We just don't know how it's going to interplay with Google. Some say and speculate that it may take over. I don't think so. But I do think it's going to play a large role in the future. But we're in the present. And right now, I would not rely upon ChatGPT or any of the AI devices, you know, you'll see Jasper, there's several different content writing devices that you can use that utilize artificial intelligence. The problem is the, if you ever look at it, it comes out wonky. It, the, it, the syntax is usually a bit off and there are tools to check. Okay, we were always worried about when it first came out, 
God, students are going to use this to plagiarize their exams. And yes, you could have it write a, a nice thesis paper for you. But there's now tools I can check to see if you're using artificial intelligence. And just because you scrub the paper, you don't get rid of some of those signals. It's very, very difficult. You almost have to manually go through every last sentence and change around the structure and the syntax to avoid getting hit. And if you think Google's not going to utilize that technology to scrub their pages on the internet that are indexed, you're kidding yourself. They're going to. So if you're relying upon Jasper to just pump out content and get rid of all your content writers, you're making a humongous mistake. Um, I don't know if I want to actually say that. I want people to continue doing that because it helps us. But over time, and there's again, this is this first iteration, so they're going to have many multiple iterations going to come out for ChatGPT, Jasper, and all these other AI tools. It's going to get better, and it's scary what they can do with you know this with this intelligence. But you can use it now. You can use it to help you finish sentences. You can help it, you know, utilize it to crawl the web. But remember, it don't, I think it only goes up to a certain time period, right? It's uh, it. Yeah, I believe, I believe, and I, I had to verify this. I believe it's like eight months behind. Yeah, so you're gonna rely on some outdated material, but it can crawl and at least get you ideas. It can help put together an amazing outline for you. It can do that. It can even code. But what you want to avoid doing is just relying upon it. Yeah, now I, I see a lot of uses for ideation. I see uses for translation. I was talking to Dave Abels from Chicago, and he was talking about how you know a lot of times when he gets Polish content tra uh, translated, it like it doesn't quite read right. But when he did it with ChatGPT, it was like flawless. So I could see that being a benefit. I could see using for social media, for email newsletters, a way to to come up with idea ideas, ideation. Um, again, there's Google. Google checks this. You know, the frustrating thing is, is Google has been adamant. They say, hey, this is against our Google guidelines, but it's, you know, do as I say, not as I do, because Google uses AI to write a lot of their content. So it's it's kind of frustrating. Mm -hmm. But I think this is something that that we have to pay attention to. It's it's one of those, you know, blockbuster video to Netflix scenarios, potentially. And I think we just have to continue to watch it. Yeah, I don't think Google has a problem if you use AI. I think they have a problem if you use AI solely to write your content. If you're using AI as a guide to help you, to help you write more robust content by, you know, you're going to have writer's block when you're writing. We all do. And you can plug something in. It'll help you finish a sentence. It'll help you structure your sentences. It will help you put together an outline. But what you do not want to rely upon is just pumping out the content and then just blindly just placing it on the web, you're going to have a huge problem there. I think you're going to run into a humongous problem. I don't know what the future of ChatGPT is because we learn new things about it every single day. This is pretty exciting. Um, they only rolled this out just a couple months ago. So I don't think it's going to replace Google. I don't know if you're ever going to have it. Because it's, it's not going to create SERP. It's not going to create search engine result placements. But I think that some people will start relying upon it to answer specific in-depth questions. So will Google augment their search results to utilize this? I don't know. Google is always one step ahead. So they have the best engineers on the planet. They're not going to, I don't think they want to lose their market share to Microsoft. They're going to have to now respond. Now it puts the onus on them to make their product that much better. I think what it's going to wind up doing is raising the ante a bit and making the product better across the web. If you are the original source and you have something truly different from a content perspective, then you're going to automatically stand out and you know there's other implications as it relates to you know education and and uh, children in schools using it to write papers and things like that chatbots and ai may change the way google and seo evolve but matt sees the real threat to the future of google in anti-monopoly lawsuits especially in the european union 
Google does monopolize the search space. We know that. And how's that going to impact Google? Are they going to split Google up into multiple factions of Google? And I mean, we can go into depth on that or another episode, but I think that's a greater threat to Google than uh, chat GPT. I don't think Google's going anywhere. I think this just raises the ante and Google's going to have to utilize artificial intelligence, which they have been doing forever, but in a much different way. I agree. And the, the conspiracy theorists out there are saying that the Yandex leak timing was was from this to show like, hey, we're not the only search engine that exists. Here's this big leak to bring attention to this other search engine. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? But yeah, we're, we're going to be monitoring that closely. We, you know, there's DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo is probably licking its chops and, and you know, Bing and, and some of these other Baidu. But, uh, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I've always wondered why DuckDuckGo has not acquired a bigger share of the market space. I love their commercials. I love the idea behind it. Big Brother can't monitor what you're doing on the web. Um, that we don't sell your information. Yeah. But it really has not grown much. A little bit. But it's still a very incremental part of the market share. Bing is still much bigger than DuckDuckGo, and Bing is only right. a tenth of the size of Google. And do you think DuckDuckGo is ever going to take off? I, I just don't see it. They're just from the revenue perspective, I mean, if they could come up with a way, you know, I know Ahrefs is creating its own search engine. Apple's in the process of creating its own search engine. Maybe there's some inside information there about breaking up Google that they're aware of, and that's why they, they moved into this area. Who knows? But, uh, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, sp- speaking SEO to SEO, the more ads they put at the top and they just keep shoving down content and unique perspectives and all this original content creation, it, it makes it very difficult. It, it doesn't incentivize new content creation if you're not going to show up and get visibility. No, the game's changed. I mean, at least in the last five years, we went from uh, if you're in the top six, seven spaces, you're showing up on the first page. Now, depending on how competitive the search term is, they may only show two or three results on what we would consider the first page. Now, it's no longer a first page. There's just a page and it just continually scrolls. But it's really, we know what the first page is. It's without having to go too much further down. So the organic content's being highlighted. We keep losing more and more real estate, but which some people say, well, then why do I market on Google? Well, you still have to because otherwise no one will know who you are and you're not relevant. And you need to focus more on, instead of worrying about these vanity terms like, I'm in Tampa, so t- people are all excited about Tampa personal injury lawyer or personal injury attorney. That never really sells you. It looks great. It tells others that you're there. It's more for ego because that doesn't really convert. It's the long tail search terms and you're actually answering a question with your blog or your content. That's what gets people to call you up and that's what makes your phone ring. And if you invest in that, you will rank because there's not that many people competing for those terms. If you look for a Clearwater Tampa personal injury lawyer, there's only a couple of spots for the organic content because you have so many people advertising for it. And that's why you have such a low chance of, no matter even if you show up number one, you still have a very low chance compared to, it's just so much going on, it's such a, so busy, that landscape of being able to convert where you're one of one or one of just a few if you're answering a long tail search term. Not only that, where the ads trigger for those transactional phrases then may not for the long tail. So you may even get better placement. Yep. 100%. Basically, SEO and a content strategy, you're functioning like a library. The more books on the shelf, the more opportunities a consumer can can go to that library to find you. So it's just more content, more content gives you more uh, searchability. And uh, Matt, this has been fantastic. So if they have any questions, uh, where can users go to get in touch with you? I'm an open book. So email me, Matt, M-A-T-T at Dolman Law, D like in David, O-L-M-A-N-L-A-W.com. You can reach me anytime. I always respond. Um, if you're interested in looking at our website, it's just dolmanlaw.com, D-O-L-M-A-N, 
law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.law.